0: It is a great privilege and pleasure to be with you this morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, to share with you. Uh, True, it's always been so gracious, um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and to speak at chapel this morning. Uh, let's pray together, okay? Father, we come before you so very grateful for who you are in our lives, the things that you called us to, the things that you finish in us. And I thank you for this call on our lives, a call to Christ, a call to ministry, a call to love, a call to sacrifice, Lord, a call to servanthood, leadership. And Father, we stand in this moment as we open your word to ask that you'd speak to us. For we know that unless you build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless you guard the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We need to hear from you today. I thank you for the power of your word. The word that washes, that sanctifies, that blesses. The word of God that enlightens our eyes. The word of God that rejoices the heart, restores the soul, makes wise the simple. The word of God, better than money, better than food. We come to this word this morning asking that you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit of the living God, we thank you for this anointing that you give to each of us, the anointing that teaches us how to abide in Jesus, so that if we read this word this morning and walk from this place not to abide in Jesus, we truly have met in vain today. And I pray, God, that you'd speak to us, show yourself strong in our lives, come, meet the need of our heart, but may we seek you and seek you above all else. And I ask these things in the strong name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. One of the things as I approach this pulpit this morning is to realize that we all have much in common. Um, Hopefully, we're all believers in Christ, part of the family of God. We've all been called of God. And in that call, we have some very specific things that we all share together. Some of you are just beginning in your ministries. Others of you are coming to close in your ministry, but there are things in our lives that I think that are essential to the call of God in our lives. And I find that this passage of Scripture, the call of Peter uh, specifically, has some essentials in it that are important for a lifetime of life in Christ and a lifetime of ministry in this thing we call the gospel. Peter was called that day on the very familiar banks of the Sea of Galilee familiar to him. I don't know where you were when you first began to entertain the thought that maybe God might have a call on your life, but I know exactly where I was. I was nine years old, about to be 10. I was sitting on the second pew of our church, Memorial Baptist Church in Metairie, Louisiana, which is a part of the greater New Orleans area. And our youth pastor, who happened to be Mike Toby, many of you know him as pastor of First Baptist Church Waco, was uh, First Baptist Church Woodway uh, for many, many faithful years and still continues to do so. But he was preaching his last service for us as he was transferring from New Orleans Seminary to Southwestern. And I can remember it very distinctly. Again, second row, almost 10 years old. And somehow I knew in that moment that one day that I would preach and one day that I'd pastor. One of the great things about growing up at Memorial Baptist is our pastor, George Bazell had a knack of finding great seminary students who'd come through and teach and vest, and one of those was a very important person in my life who now, Mike Walker, who now pastors in Lafayette, Louisiana, but Mike vested in my life for three years, and under his ministry at 17 years old, surrendered to this call that I had begun to feel when I was nine and a half years old. And that call brings us to many places. There's something that which is very interesting about it, and what I find in this passage is, is that, that when I look at Peter's call, I see some of the same things in my life in our call together that are very, very essential to living life and finishing well one day. You know, though there are three of these things, and, and three of them, and one of them is a call to obedience, and one is a call to humility, and one is a call to abandonment. As to the essential of obedience, the thing that I would say to you as a, a pastor of 27 years is, listen, when God asks you to do something, just do it. Just do it. I mean, there are lots of things in our lives that we know that God had prompted us to that we did not do, and we regretted it. We've lived with regret, but we also know that the things that we have done, that we knew that God prompted us to do it, we never regret that, even if it seems like a failure in the eyes in the world of the in the eyes of the world. If God asks you to do something, just do it. This is where we find Peter. Peter has been asked by Christ after this great, I guess it was a great message because um, uh, uh, perhaps Jesus is well, he is he's preaching. He's proclaiming. The crowds are listening to the word of God. And now it's time for Jesus to move the sermon, as my preaching professor, Joel Gregory, said, to move it from the, now, the then to the now. Is that right? And he's about to do that. Hey, Peter, let down your net for a catch. What do we hear? An objection. God, Jesus, master, We've worked hard all night. We've caught nothing. You hear it in his, in his, in his, in his voice. You hear it by the words, Lord, we've, we've fished this lake all of our lives. We're fishermen by trade, and one more cast would truly not be enough to really take to market and be profitable. We're tired. We're weary. We, we are weak right now. We want to go home. We want to go to sleep, but... Peter says, at your word, I will do this. When God asks you to do something, do it. Even if you're weary, even if you're tired, even if you're struggling, even if you don't think that it might even produce anything profitable, when God says to do something, just do it. Do it by the power of the Spirit of God in your life. You know, I think that that's really the lines of heaven. You hear it often where God asks, Someone to do something that just doesn't make sense sometimes. To Philip, who's preaching to crowds, go 70 miles south to the desert road. You'll find Ethiopia there. There he does. He finds Ethiopia there. Ethiopian eunuch. Abraham, leave the familiar. Go to the place I will show you, and I'll show it to you in due time, and you'll find the promised land. Noah, build an ark of gopher wood. You don't understand it now. You've never seen rain, but you will find Salvation. Does it make sense? Joshua, march around Jericho one more time. You'll find conquest. Moses, take the staff, cry, let my people go, and you'll find Egypt as mere history. Yeah, these things that don't make sense to the finite mind. Things after years of ministry that you feel like, I just don't understand, God. Think times that I I still don't know what to say in these circumstances. Things that don't make sense. Go to places that I don't want to go to. I remember a number of years ago or a few years ago, there was a man in my father's life uh, by the name of Eddie, Eddie Lansing. Now, we grew up in New Orleans. My dad was a plumber, a plumber by trade, became a contractor. In those early years, this young man named Eddie, whose mother was friends with my grandmother, my father's mom, became a plumber's helper for my dad. Now, my dad wasn't a Christian then. My dad came to Christ later on when he was 27. And Eddie was in his life for a few years, and then dad got out of plumbing and went into construction, and um, they kind of parted ways, friendly ways, and didn't see Eddie for a number of years. And then one day in his, my dad's retirement, someone asked, to come and, asked him to come and invest a little time in his plumbing business, and he met Eddie again and began sharing faith with Eddie Lansing. New Orleans guy. Through and through. Roman Catholic. Lost. My dad started sharing faith with him. What was our custom uh, in, in my early adult life is, is we, my dad and I and my son and my brother and a couple of preacher friends, we'd go to the, to the Smoky Mountains and we'd backpack. In one of those years, Eddie came. And we shared faith with Eddie. My dad had been sharing. Well... He didn't come to Christ and um, moved on a little bit in life and then one day found out that he had cancer, lung cancer, and um, he was going to die. He was going to die in just a couple of weeks. I get a call from my dad. My dad says, hey, you know that Eddie has lung cancer and uh, I really need you to come and share with Eddie one more time and maybe he'll come to Christ. And I I just got to tell you, I didn't want to go back to New Orleans. We'd already shared with him. My dad had been sharing with him for two years. My brother lives in Lafayette, Louisiana. He's just an hour away. I thought, call Dad. Call Dad. Uh, call, call Jeff. I mean, Jeff, Jeff will do it. And I didn't say that to my father. But I just want to tell you, I, I just felt in that moment it was just such an inconvenience to get in the car and go 10 hours. But yet there was this prompting. God asked you to do something, do it. So I loaded a couple of the kids in the car to go see Popo and Nana, and I went down to share faith with Eddie Lancey. Walk into the hospital room, and he's laying on his back. He's dying. And we're kind of quiet there, and my dad's at his head. His brother Larry is over here by the window, and I'm at the foot of his bed. And what happens is, is that, that um, Eddie starts talking. And he tells my, 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 my dad, my dad's Mike as well, and says, hey, Mike, i got to tell you something. And he does that in his New Orleans drawl. Hey, Mike, i got to tell you something. Jesus is talking to me right now. And he's telling me that if I would give my life to him, that if I would believe in Jesus and believe what he did for me, that he will save me. And I'm believing that right now. And he started talking about the salvation experience right before our eyes. And my dad's a talker and my dad's an interrupter sometimes. And he said, yeah, Eddie, that's what I've been trying to tell you for two years. I said, Dad, shut up. Something's happening here. And he started talking more, started sharing more about what Christ was telling him in the room. And then he came to Christ without a preacher in the room. <laughs> well, he was in the room, but he just listened. A few short time later, in that same room, at that same hour, he looks at his brother Larry and he says, hey, Larry, Larry, I got to tell you something. You know, we've done a lot of things together in our life. We've done some bad things. We've done some good things. We've had some bad times, and we've had some good times. But i got to tell you, compared to, to, to Jesus, all the rest is BS. And he didn't use the initials. And I went, oh, I don't know if I like that. Didn't use the initials. He said it. It's all BS, Larry. Compared to knowing Christ. And I thought, oh, that's what Paul said. <laughs> it's all done. It's all done. Well, I, I walked away from that afternoon just very convicted. And we went back in the evening. And here we were. We were gathered around his family. He is dying. He has his ex wife on his left, he has his mistress on his right. His kids are all around him, Larry's kids. This is what he says. He says, you guys know me. You know me as a bitter man. I've been an adulterer. I've been a liar. We have cheated. I have hated people. But I want you to know that today, I believed in Jesus. And he's changed my life. And if I live 10 minutes, if I live an hour, if I live two weeks, if I live 10 years, I will serve him forever. I mean, he began to speak, and I want to tell you, just as a a seminary, ex-seminary student, he talked about justification, but he didn't know what justification was in this sense, except by the practical experience of what God was doing in his life. He talked about sanctification. He talked about evangelism. He talked about all the things that we get taught from youth up, right there in that moment. And I walk away from that. I walk away from that, and I think, oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me. First of all, I realize You don't need me. And it's just by your grace that you invite me to things. And I didn't want to come here to New Orleans. But I come. And it's changed my life. To see you at work in a man's life. deathbed confession. With no Bible opened. With no radio going. With a preacher preaching. But simply from probably some words that were spoken over the last couple of years from my father. And I saw that that day and I had to ask God to forgive me. To forgive me for my laziness, my aversion to inconvenience, my weariness. Get in the car and go nine, go nine hours, ten hours. When we've already been to New Orleans this month, gas prices is the way they are. I had to ask God to forgive me. And it's a lesson, it's a lesson learned That when he asks you to do something, just do it. You know, that's what God says. He says things to us that don't make sense. It doesn't make sense to forgive your enemies, to love your enemies, to forgive someone 70 times 7. It doesn't make sense to believe the impossible promises of God. Did it make sense to Abraham that his past menopause wife would have a child? No, it didn't make sense. Or a virgin daughter of Israel, married that she would have a child in her virginity didn't make sense will we dare to believe the impossible that our Jesus this Jesus Christ would come into our lives and he would appear he would appear in our lives to take away the sin and destroy the works of the devil to conform us into his image well we believe that today Will we dare believe that which doesn't make sense? Because I don't know about you, oftentimes when, I, when Paul talks about Abraham looking at himself and seeing himself as half dead, but yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. And I think about that sometimes in my own life. This flesh part of mine, I look and I say, God, did you really promise that I'd be like you? That you would do this work from glory to glory? Will we dare believe that which does not make sense? Peter did. He believed it, and he let down his net. And you know the story. It's familiar to us. But it was the greatest catch of his life. (laughs) It's just the greatest catch. And I can imagine, because I've fished a little bit, and I know what it's like to get one fish on a line. It's exciting. First time ever did it? The last time I've ever done it. It's exciting. I can't imagine. I mean, I just see money signs going up in his eyes. I, see, I just see this is the greatest catch of my life. And then the Bible says something very significant. Then Peter saw. He saw. His eyes were opened. And the Bible says, which is the second essential. We have obedience. The second essential to our call is Humility. In that moment, he is going to see the glory of God. He's going to see Jesus like he's never seen him before. And he's going to see his own sinfulness. And he's going to say this. Depart from me, O Lord, your Lord, Curios, King, Kaiser, Caesar, your Lord. But I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. Don't even deserve to be in your presence. Yes, there was amazement for the catch that day. But I think his eyes got off the catch and it got on the miracle maker. I think that's what was so interesting about my trip to New Orleans that day is because I I walked away not so much impressed in the salvation of Eddie Lansing. Yes, I was was impressed with that, but I was impressed with the Savior. I think there's so often times that we want to get By the results or the success or this great commission and all the things we're doing, and we miss God, and all of a sudden, what happens in our ministries is that the ministry becomes the God, it becomes the idol. God becomes second, third, fourth place, and it ought not be. It ought not be. It doesn't happen in the boat, He doesn't take credit for the fish. I mean, he's going to go and he's going to do something really unusual again. He's going to leave it all behind. But amazement seizes him. And he goes to his knees, this big scrapper of a fisherman, calloused hands, hard life, uneducated. And what is he going to do in front of his friends? He's going to get on his knees and say, you're God. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve it. Depart from me. Depart from me. It's a posture. It's the posture of humility. It's those times that when we think too highly of ourselves that we need to understand and take this posture of humility. And I'll say this. Not only when God asks you to do something, just do it, but also always be ready to confess your own weakness, your sinfulness, your struggle. Humility is a lesson to be learned. And it's a lesson to keep on learning because we are in this flesh. I think about Peter being so undone and I think so must you, Mike Fritcher. So must you be undone. Yes, I'm grateful for what God does and I look at his promises, but I also know that I'm just a man and so are you, a man and a woman, fallen, needing God's grace, God's mercy every single day of your life. This salvation is not just where you got your ticket punched and went your merry way. It's a lifetime of being conformed into his image, doing what God wants you to do in this life, according to his power, of course. According to his power. And I think it begins with humility. When I think about this posture of humility where I'm seeing God as God and me as me, you know what roots out entitlement You know, growing up in a Southern Baptist church and knowing that you're going into ministry, a lot of people say a whole lot of nice things about you. I just shared that a little bit ago. They say a lot of nice things about you and about your future, and guess what happens? You begin to believe it. And somehow you just believe that, that that's what you're gonna do, and that's what's gonna happen. And all of a sudden, This pride catches in and gets in. And all of a sudden, things aren't working out the way that everybody thought it was going to work out for you and how they spoke it into your life. And all of a sudden, you've got this big thing called entitlement in you. And I'll tell you, gang, you're entitled to nothing. You are entitled to nothing. I thought I was entitled to godly kids. And when my kids rebelled, the first two, I said, God, what in the world are you doing here? I didn't sow this. I was a good kid, Baptist kid. Came to you at eight, never drank, never smoked, never partied. Was going on to ministry. How dare you? entitled to godly kids. You're entitled to nothing. Man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from God above. And those are hard days. Children living in a bubble, glass house, expectations. They have expectations to be holy or miserable. Nothing in between. It's just the bottom line, pastor's kid. And be ready for it. Be ready for it to love them and to realize that you are not entitled to that. See, a humility, a humility that I get from God because I I can't just really say, I'm gonna be humble today. (laughs) Just can't do that. It's actually a work of God. It's a work of grace in your life and in my life. It's a work of God. It's this thought that says, God, I want you more than anything else. I want you more than a great marriage. I want you more than a great church. I want you more than a growing ministry. I want you more than godly kids. I want you, God. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man because that's not where I'm at. Yeah, it'll root out entitlement. It'll root out entitlement. It'll root out pride in your life. The temptation to be relevant, popular, efficient, influential, known. Known, well, that's what people said. You can do great. You're going to be known. (laughs) Oh, going to be known. No, you're going to go make him known. And as you decrease, he will increase. Because that's really all that matters. It's all that really matters. This humility, I have found that will. Root out the temptation to be right, to be rich, to be successful at that cost, at all costs. It also will bring grace. And Peter knew this, he understood it. He wrote of it in his first epistle. He said, 1 Peter 5:5, 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Wow. You want grace today? You know what grace does. According to Titus, it teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live godly, sensibly, and righteously in this present age. It teaches you to look for the blessed hope of the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know why I look forward to the appearing? Because the Bible promises in 1 John chapter 3, when he appears, we will be like him. The very intention of the gospel, the blood, the cross, like Christ what grace does and when you humble yourself and you, you 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 make much not of yourself but of god he gives you grace but the bible says he's opposed and that's a military term it's like god puts up the armament against you therefore not only clothe yourselves with humility but here it is humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god that you may exalt he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you and be of sober spirit be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Make no bones about it, the enemy wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. I have a great God, you have a great God that comes to be formed in you. And I just wanna ask, will you, will you believe that today? Will you believe that for your people? Will you believe that for your church, the church? Will you love the church enough to believe that? The lion seeks to kill. Humble yourself. When you humble yourself, you come to this place of resistance. We know that humility brings confession, and confession brings forgiveness. Very familiar verse of Scripture, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Luke 189, the publican and the sinner went to worship. The sinner went home justified. Why? Because he humbled himself and said, "It's me. It's me. It's not my wife. It's not my dad. It's not my mom, it's me. It's not the deacon over there. It's not the preacher back then. It's not my teacher. It's me who needs you. It's me brings justification. It brings a brand new life. And if you're in the middle of the brand new life, it'll also bring new chapters to your life. That's what happened to Peter that day. He would do something that was, again, we've spoken of in just a moment ago, but the second thing that he will do that doesn't make sense, he'll leave the greatest catch of his life and he'll follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus says to it. Hey, don't, don't fear. You're confessing this. Here's my favor. Get up, son. And don't be afraid, for now on, You will be catching men, no longer catching fish. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Third essential, abandonment. Are you willing to abandon anything and everything? Are you willing to die to anything and everything in this life that God would ask you to die to, to live for him and him alone? And that's a hard thing. When our church was first starting to move toward China, we had a young, young family, a couple, Craig Scoville. Craig Scoville was one of the first, Craig and Deb were one of the first team members of this Hani team to go and to reach this unreached people group that we had never heard of before, which also, to me, did not make much sense. You know, it doesn't make sense to go spend all this money over there when there's so much need here, right? I hear that all the time, even after... 11 years in China. Like Craig, feed salesman, Comanche, Texas. No college education. What does he do? They sell everything to go overseas. Abandons everything. You think it was easy? No, it was hard. Deb had a Down syndrome adult child. You think that was easy? No, that was hard. And it was especially hard when that down syndrome child died while they were there. It was hard, difficult for her. When God asks you to do something, right? Do it. And make sure you're dying to this stuff, dying to this world, so that you're living to Him. That's the lesson abandonment. Abandon all. For the cross. Be willing to lay it on the altar, to say yes to Him, to say, God, whatever, whenever, wherever, however. I'll die to it. Die to it. When I left Houston, Texas and came to seminary, I was exhausted. Been in six years of youth ministry. I was 23 years old. I was already tired. (laughs) I was already tired. But I had vision and I had dream and I wanted to go plant a church in Houston or maybe on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. When I was 10 years old, I had this aspiration of being chaplain of the Senate. (laughs) That's just what I, just people said I was going place, might as well go, right? Dreams, visions. To be the best, to reach people for Christ. And I loved that. Got to lead my cousin when we were fifth grade to the Lord sitting between twin beds in my bedroom. (laughs) Love that. So when I come to Cottonwood, Cottonwood is a country church, rural. When I got there 26 years ago, 27 years ago, it lies on a stretch of Highway 6 from Dublin to Heiko. It's 21 miles. And it averaged about two places per mile 27 years later, it averages about two and a half places per mile, not much growth. It's 80 miles from here, 80 miles from Fort Worth, 80 miles from Abilene. To this New Orleans, boy, it's in the middle of nowhere. No potential for church growth, no potential to be known. (laughs) So when I show up there that morning, they, they asked me to supply, and there's about 15 people meeting, maybe 20, all over 50. I come back that night to preach the evening service and the five deacons that represented the 10 couples said, hey, come be our pastor. <laughs> I've only got a number of months left of seminary. I think about 18, maybe 17. So no, before you call me to this place, just know we're graduating the next day. We're getting, we're loading up and we're heading to the city. Hi, right, that's okay. That's about how long our pastors stay. That's about how long they stay. Come on. So we settled into pastor. Jeremy came along 10 months later, only child in church, the first 15 months of his life. I mean, this place had never run over 10, over 15 in Sunday school, but it had a history of faithfulness and a history of faith. Correspondent shows that back in the 30s and 40s that this church, that the folks of this church would write back and forth and talk about cottonwood and how they just believed that it would be more than a spark for God one day. In the 40s, our worship leader, Fanny Chamber, two of her sisters. Family, family, Fanny Chamber has, has led worship since she's 15. She's 78. Okay, she still leads worship in front of a whole band with a praise team. It's a sight. You need to come see it. Hero of my life. But sometimes in the 40s, all their parents had just given up. Shut the doors. Three. Standing two sisters and three other teenage girls from the community said, nope, we're going to come to church. And so Saturday night, they would call. Are we going tomorrow? Oh, yeah, we're going tomorrow. Well, Fanny, if you'll do music, we'll read the Sunday school lesson, we'll take an offering, and we'll even fill out the board, right? You know the board? Yeah, they filled it out. Six in Sunday school. Faithfulness. Two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks they met, in the family, and came started coming back. Uh-oh, when I show up there, there's not much more than eight or nine people. And so I think, this is an 18-month stop and then I'm on, I can do this. My wife had always dreamed of living in the country, so we'll let her live there for 17 months. My wife says, you know, we've been there 26 years. If you would have died to your dream first, we'd be in the city. <laughs> but I dream- I died to mine first by marrying you. So we started out, we started out in this. And then seminary came, and God did this work in my life—a significant work in my life—and I heard God ask me to do something: stay, and pastor, with thirty-five people, the rest of the life, your life, if I ask you. And I said, "Okay." And I had to die that day. Had to abandon. Had to die to every dream, every vision every nice thing he said about me and had to die to it. And I did die, I died died that day. Died that day. I asked God to do two things. God, if you're gonna make me stay here in the middle of nowhere, pastor, these 35, 40 people, I've gotta ask you a couple things. Number one, I'm I'm gonna ask you will you satisfy me with you and your presence? Because I know just from past experience that success in ministry and success all other places is not gonna ultimately bring satisfaction, but I do know a little bit about those seasons in my life when I'm satisfied in you most. Second thing I ask is, God, if you're gonna make me, I don't know if I said it that way, but if you're gonna make me stay with these 35, 40 people the rest of my life, you gotta make them love one another because I don't wanna spend the rest of my life with 35 people who don't love one another. And I gotta tell you this, This is great. I look back over it and God has answered those prayers. He's answered those prayers. He's answered them. Often the presence of God is manifested. We see people, and although we've grown a little bit, we see people, we see people loving one another. See people loving the Lord, their God, with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And neighbor is themselves. Who is our neighbor? Neighbor's a Hani person. It's our farthest Hani person in southwest China. Takes more than all day to get there. But do you know that when we started with this work, something that God asked us to do that we said yes to, and boy, I just appreciate your Dr. Stroop who challenged us that day, 1999, January 99, came to our church. They said, hey, it's not about a mission program. It's about declaring his glory, Pursuing his glory to the ends of the earth, and we said, "Okay." We started this 1.4 million people, no gospel influence. You know, today there's 6,000, over 6,000 believers. There's over three or four hundred churches amongst the honey today. (laughs) From this little dot in the place, dot of the road, and I got to say this other thing. It's one other thing. I think I've got to close. Come to Cottonwood, and you see the things that God's doing, it's not because some pastor decided on a retreat that he's gonna fill out his five-year plan and get him there. I must tell you, I didn't have a vision. Did I have a vision to go to the ends of the earth? I didn't have a vision to go to the, ends of the earth. I'm not a world traveler, still not. It doesn't make sense sometimes to me. ESL on Tuesday night, not my idea. Adopting the Zanzibar uh, on the island of Zanzibar, not my idea. Church based sending, not my idea. It's allowing God to bring people who are hungry and seeing their passions fulfilled. That's what happens when you die. Well, that's what's happened to me abandonment. Listen. Are you willing to abandon even now, even right now, most successful time of your life, to ask, to dare to see God ask you to do something that is just so unfamiliar to you, something so unreasonable to you? Are you willing to do that today? Because I would promise you, willing to do that? You'll find life. You'll find resurrection. You'll find it in so many wonderful, wonderful ways. Bow with me in prayer. Would you do? Father, there are some of us in this place that you've asked us to do that we have not done. And I ask, Lord, that even in my own heart right now, is there something that you've asked me to do that I've not done? I I want you to tell me that right now so that I can go run and do the thing that you last told me to do. Yes, by your power, by your spirit. Oh, God, remove from us entitlement, pride, arrogance, Remove it, and we walk in humility today. As you walked, oh God, there's something we need to abandon today. Give us the courage to die so that we might see the life of Christ like never before. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. May it not return void, but accomplish exactly what you desire. In Jesus' name, for his sake. His sake alone.